Tonight I'd like to speak to you uh, of a verse in Acts 13.22. In speaking of David of old, it's a most wonderful verse, and especially when we think of the man it's talking about. And God says, he's a man after my own heart who shall fulfill all my will. It's very simple. And life has no meaning to a man who does not know what he is living for. And here it says that a man is after God's own heart who shall fulfill all of God's will. And if you were to ask a dozen men tonight uh, to what end they were living, what was the purpose of their life, their answers would abound with vagaries. They wouldn't have any idea of why they're alive and they would lack any definite view of where they're going. Now, the whole thing seems rather senseless if that's true. What a terrible thing it would be if there was nothing, if the future held nothing, if there was no definite thing for the future for man, if God had not revealed his will for man, what a terrible future it would be for all of us here tonight. It's a terrible commentary on the church, I might say, that this would be true, that so many people, even those who go to church, would be very vague. I would venture that since most people are are very seldom even read the Scriptures and uh, a very definite few study the Scriptures, although the Scripture does say we're to study to make ourselves approved unto God, servants, rightly dividing the word of truth. Yet there'd be so few who really would know that they have a definitive terminus to life. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that uh, we arrange so carefully the details of life. Most men are so concerned families are concerned about life and uh, everything in this present life, arranging for the future, for vacations, for uh, retirement, for all the things that have come. Uh, Men are always arranging these things, planning, planning, planning. And yet out of all of that planning to think that uh, nothing is thought by and large of eternal things. There isn't too much to be said in this area. Men will bypass this while they'll plan and do all the rest to see if they can't set themselves up for a good retirement or if they cannot plan for the next year or they're going to do this or I'm going to do that. You remember the man with the bonds that built built bigger bonds because he was planning what he was going to do. And yet God said, thou fool. This night shall thy soul be required of thee. Then what shall these things be? Now, that's a a very logical question. 
What do all these things mean if death is your terminus? Unless Christ comes, this is the terminus of all of us. So what would it mean? And here, God speaking to David says, Thou art a man after my own heart who shall fulfill all my will. Yet here is a man who's a colossal failure. Here is a man who is a very deep sinner. So certainly it does not mean that David's life was such a holy, righteous life that God took him in because of being such a fine, noble, outstanding king. He was anything but that. David's adultery and murder were probably about as heinous a crime as a man could commit. Planned, carefully premeditated how he would murder the captain of his armies that he might have Bathsheba. And yet this is the man that God speaks of. And God is speaking of this man who had faith. He believed God, but he failed. Now, lest you get any, you know, wild ideas about this, let me tell you, God's always done it this way. It's never been changed. It's always the same. God's foreknowledge makes very clear to us of all the conditions of life that it has always been colossal failure and that out of the failures, God has his divine purpose working. When you go back to Adam, you find that God in dealing with Adam, makes but one law, that is that he cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God in his glorious foreknowledge saw the failure of Adam, the failure of Eve, and out of this, remember in the great mystery of putting Adam into a deep sleep and taking Eve from his side, he was planning the redemption which should come through Jesus Christ. He saw Adam's sin, Adam's failure, Eve's failure, and yet in the deep sleep of Adam, the Savior was yet to come. So that it is always thus that God is always planning ahead. No matter where we were to look in Scripture, we will find man failing, man falling into sin, and God always prearranging, understanding exactly what is going to happen. He's testing man continually, and yet he's always providing for the failure that he knows man is going to fall into. Isn't that marvelous? Marvelous grace providing for the failures that man would fall into. And he started right in with Adam, put Adam on the earth, made him of the dust of the ground, formed him in his own image, knew of his coming fall, and already planned his redemption through Eve. 
If we were to go down through the whole history of man, we would find this. Notice it says, a man after my own heart fulfilling all my will. What is God's will concerning us? It is the will of my Father that you believe on him whom he hath sent. This is the will of God concerning us, that we should believe on him. How is a man after God's own heart? Because he believes. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. David sinned deeply. God tested him in the very failure of his life and he came back to God, had to be challenged by the high priest of old, but he came back to God, you see. God planning all along out of all the failures. If we were to take from Adam and Eve and we were to go down step through step, we'd find the same thing. Tested in the garden with all of its beauty. Adam fails. God's got the remedy. The failure is going to be taken care of. He's testing him. He's providing for it in the very failure that he knows is coming. The next one was tested under conscience. That was the second one. And it says in Genesis 6, violence filled the whole earth. That was the result of conscience. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in this world. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And out of that the flood came. And out of the flood he already had foreknown that Noah would be the man and through Shem Christ would come. God's foreknowledge always in operation, taking the testing of man under every possible condition he can put him under to show that man is a colossal failure, failure after failure after failure, putting him here as a free will agent upon the earth, giving him choice and man choosing darkness rather than light and yet knowing that in the testing man would fail, but God would provide the way of escape for mankind. After the flood, he was tested under a divinely instituted divine government. He was placed under government, and then they built the Tower of Babel. And out of the Tower of Babel, beloved, he scattered the nations and he scattered them into the uttermost parts of the earth and caused them to speak in different tongues. And as he scattered the people, he chose a man, Abraham. So in man's failure, in his great omniscience and power and foreknowledge, he sees the failure of the nations under governmental control, and they fail and God already has a man through whom he's going to bring a nation that shall be his people. And so he chooses Abraham out of this. Then under Abraham's covenant, he takes Abraham, gives him all of the promises of the seed that was to come. And Abraham laughs at God. Sarah laughs at God when they're promised a seed and God, seeing the failure in the testing, 
has already predetermined that Sarah shall bear a child. Though she and Abraham, she's barren, and Abraham is old, and yet the promise was that the seed should come. And so Isaac is given, because down through the line of Isaac shall come the Christ. Then after that, they were tested under the law of Moses. Under the law of Moses, Israel failed God. There was none righteous, no, not one. They built the golden calf. They worshipped the golden calf. When Moses came down from the mount, he saw the people all engaging in the lascivious worship of the golden calf. And yet God had already predetermined that at the end of the law, 1,500 years in the fullness of time, Christ the Messiah should come and should be the fulfillment of all that the law ever asked and the grace of God would be manifest to mankind in Jesus Christ. But when Christ came, did it change at all? Not at all. Another testing takes place and the testing of man under the age of grace. Here we are under the age of grace. A testing of man again under the age of grace. And what do they do? They take the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man, and they take him and when he tells them that he has come in the power of his Father's name and God is his Father in an unusual, particular, special way in that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, they crucify him. And so under the testing of grace, man is a failure. And now down all through the age of grace, man is still a colossal failure. Do you know that right now, in all the world of three and a half billion people, there are only, right this moment, 8% are Christians in the universal church. How many do you think are real born-again Christians? Eight percent. Do you know that by the year 1980, at the present rate of increase of population, two percent of the people will be Christians in 1980? For every Christian in the Christian church, there are three, remember now, I'll say, let me put it this way, for every Protestant, there are three Catholics, Greek and Roman, there are five Muslims, and now there are nine communists. And this is under the age of grace. Colossal failure. Right now there are 100 million children born every year in the world. 100 million. Million. Of that, less than 5% will ever hear the gospel. This is the great age of grace. Christ has been crucified. Christ is risen. The Holy Spirit has been given. 
And beloved, yet we find that instead of the world being swept by great conversions, or as we hear some of the modernists speak, how could we ever listen to any preachers who have any idea that somehow the church is going to sweep the world, as I said, and is going to have a great bringing into the millennial age, when today we have less Christians than in the first century after Christ died, percentage-wise, to population. And in 1980, if the Lord tarries, 2% of the people will be Christian. Now do you know why Jesus says, Oh, tiny flock, tiny flock, it is given unto you to inherit the kingdom of God. Tiny, tiny flock. Listen, God wants men after his own heart. God wants men, all of the colossal failures that I've spoken about all down through the ages, each one in its own area, God testing man, and while he's testing, making the provision for him coming out of the testing and being victorious, only through God's grace for no other reason. We have had no victories in the flesh at all. We are worse off today as men than the world has ever been. I'm not talking about affluency in dollars. I'm not talking about that because we're liable to get centered because we're in the eastern area of the United States and we're near the great markets of the world and the stock markets and the bond markets and all of the rest of this and we hear of all the money and the dollars. We're liable to get confused and forget that 75% of the world goes to bed hungry. And I would remind you, the world is not affluent. And Christianity, with all of its tremendous possibilities, the great redemption of the cross of Christ and the great power of the Holy Spirit that came to descend upon the people when I, we read this morning that Jesus said, and if I go away, I will give you the comforter and he will come with you and abide with you forever and he will speak not of himself, but of me. And he will guide you into all truth and tells us in another place, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You would have think that the great power of the Holy Spirit, we would have been able to sweep the world into the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you that Jesus said the whole world lies in darkness even unto this hour and unto the very end. The world will be under the dominion not of the Son of God in its desire to be ruled by him, but under the dominion of Satan and its willingness to be in the kingdom of darkness and never come out into the kingdom of light. So, beloved, God is looking for men whose heart is tender toward him, a man after God's own heart who fulfills his will. What is your will, Father? Tell us. What is your will? You might expect if you listen to some religious groups like the Ethical Society and all the rest that God would cry right down, I want you to be good boys. I want you to be good girls. I want you to be good mothers. I want you to be good fathers. You'd think this is what you would think if you listen to all the Ethical Culture Society and all the others. This is what you'd think. If you listen to the modernist church, this is it. Some moral code that, listen, man failed under the moral code of God. Man failed under Moses' code. He had 1,500 years and no one ever obeyed it. 
Paul says the law was a ministry of condemnation and of death, that's all. The soul that sinneth it shall die. He that offends in one tittle of the law is guilty of the whole law. Not a matter of an average. It's a matter of one offense is sufficient for death. And it needs the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We might expect if God called down that somehow he just asked people to be better, to stop the wars, to stop this, to stop that. He's not doing this in any sense. He has but one message. Father, what is your will? And this is the will of the Father, Jesus says, that you might believe on him whom he hath sent, and in believing have eternal life. That's the will of the Father. What does this mean? This is how we go after the heart of God who will fulfill all my will. Because out of that surrender to Christ, Christ comes in to live in us and then God can fulfill his will through us. He never can do it before. He cannot do it with an unregenerate man. There has to be the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And this is that which is so necessary in us today that we might be pleasing to the heart of God. A man after God's own heart. Love. Who will fulfill all his will. Obedience. This is what God wants. And if we look at all of the nations around us and we see what's happening in the world around us and you hear people cry out about Christianity is so big. We happen to live in a nation with 200 million people where Christianity, even with all the sin we have in this nation, with all the wickedness, I would remind you the United States is the bastion of Christianity. With all of its sin and all of its crime, it's still the one place where the gospel can be preached and where the Holy Spirit gives power and where men have no one to come in to stop them preaching. Listen, beloved, pray that God will keep it that way. Pray that God will keep it that way. Because here we are living in these last days. God's looking for men who will please his heart, a man after his own heart, fulfilling his will. And oh, how I plead that this people that God has placed in this place may be those who please his heart by fulfilling all his will, understanding the great call of God that out of every contingency of life, every failure we've had in life, God has the answer for your failure. God has the answer for your sin. He had the answer for David's sin. You remember when David confessed his sin to God. He said, Thou art a man after my own heart, David. Why? Because he acknowledged who he was, that he was the only one that could forgive sin. And this is the will of God, that we acknowledge there is but one that can forgive sin. And it's the one we must go to. And we come after his heart when we exhibit faith in the only divine Son of God who can cleanse us from our sin. You don't content God's heart by any other method. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast.
So how shall we please God? Beloved, we please God by believing in His Word. You know, I couldn't help but notice today I was reading the, the old Westminster Catechism. Great Catechism. This is the one they're throwing out. I feel sorry that it's being thrown out. But it's, just let me read what it says. Some of you will remember this. What? is the chief end of man. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? The Word of God which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. What do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach this. Notice now, a man after God's own heart fulfilling his will. Principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. How does a man come after God's own heart? By believing what God says. How does he fulfill all his will? By the duty God requires fulfilling it every man. Oh, I wish they'd keep it. I wish they'd keep it. I feel sorry in the Presbyterian Church. Throw it out. Now put in things such as this. The Bible is to be interpreted by every man for himself. What he feels inspired to him is inspired. What he is not inspired by is not inspired. Oh, listen. Please, God. Please, God. Be a man after God's own heart. Fulfill his will by obeying his blessed word and loving his son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Now, Father, we rejoice in the simplicity of just a short verse like this. It teaches us how we're to be after your heart. It wasn't that David was such a righteous man. He was anything but that. But he believed and he confessed his sin. And he looked to the coming of Messiah, for out of his loins, through Solomon and Nathan, came the seed, which was Christ. Now, Father, we would pray that thou wouldst touch our hearts tonight. May we be men, women, young people after God's heart fulfilling all his will. 
in Christ's name. Amen.